there was a treatment needed um, for children with acute malnutrition. And with the increasing numbers of children in need for treatment, it was clear that the traditional way of treating acute malnutrition was not able to respond adequately. That's Regina Coplo, and you're listening to Ending Hunger and Malnutrition. Can it really be done? I'm Sivan Yosef, Senior Program Manager at the International Food Policy Research Institute, IFPRI. On this podcast, we talk to the world's top scientists, policymakers, and practitioners about ending hunger and malnutrition in under a decade. We teamed up with a group of passionate, engaged public health grad students at the University of Michigan. Each episode, one of the students will conduct an interview for us. The year is 2002. Malawi is experiencing widespread hunger, and hundreds of thousands of children are malnourished. Malawi's solution? Instead of taking kids to faraway health clinics, bring the treatment to them. Grace Heimsfield talks to Regina Koplo and Megan Anson of Concern Worldwide about Malawi's piloting of community-based management of acute malnutrition, CMAM. The CMAM approach is basically this. Volunteers identify the children in their village who are malnourished and treat them, usually with ready-to-use therapeutic foods and weekly checkups. Children with complicated, severe acute malnutrition, the really bad cases, are sent to the nearest health center. It's an innovative process that worked in Malawi, and Ms. Koplo and Ms. Anson talk about how and why. The first voice you'll hear is Ms. Koplo. We faced a nutrition crisis in Malawi in uh, 2002. Uh, it was drought, and we saw that uh, a lot of households had um, severe uh, issues around food security and as a result of that um, the prevalence of acute malnutrition increased so um, there was a treatment needed um, for children with acute malnutrition and with the increasing numbers of children in need for treatment it was clear that the current um, that the traditional way of treating acute malnutrition was not able to respond adequately, even though um, the inpatient treatment approach works, but it cannot reach out to as many children as the community-based approach. So in Malawi, the government was really open to trying and piloting the, the new approach, the CMAM approach. The CMAM approach really utilized resources in a much better way from um, the health system to having uh, treatment really focused uh, in the communities and to having NGOs work together um, with the government. Um, additionally, we found with CMAM that there is a much higher coverage rate. So while the inpatient treatment rates from the approach prior were very successful, often they were only able to reach about 10% of the children who needed treatment. And what we saw in the pilot in Malawi was that we were able to reach over 70% of the children who actually needed treatment. And then it's also an approach that's easy to learn. Uh, a medical degree is not needed. It's possible for illiterate volunteers, as Regina mentioned, to take the MUAC uh, measurements for children and to identify them as being malnourished and refer them to the health facility and treatment can be provided everywhere. It can be provided at a home, it can be provided as 
in a clinic setting as long as ready-to-use therapeutic food is available. So it really brought the treatment of acute malnutrition back into the communities where it could be managed in a much more efficient way using resources in a way that made the most sense in terms of being cost-effective and also having um, high coverage rates. And what we also saw was because the treatment was so effective and that children are able to recover often in their homes with their families, that there is an immediate reward and incentive for parents and health workers and the community at large to adopt this approach. What are some of the key differences you've seen in how these programs were implemented in other countries compared to Malawi? Well, in Malawi, we started with the CIMAM, and uh, it has been there the pilot. So when we implemented it there, it was, at the beginning, it was really a lot about finding out what is the best way of doing it. So um, what we did in Malawi was not always the best way, but we had to learn. It was the first time we implemented. So um, that we, we took all the learning from Malawi and then got better and better when we implemented CIMAM in other countries. For example, in Malawi, we really started during an emergency and then it was scaled up on that basis. In other countries, um, we often started working with the Ministry of Health from the beginning and we introduced CIMAM as one of the um, health services that was provided by the government uh, as a routine service. Um, so from your experiences so far, what would you say is the largest barrier to sustainable food security in Malawi? I think one of the biggest barriers to sustainable food security in Malawi is the over-reliance on maize as a staple crop. Um, for example, maize is grown by seven, or 97% of households and accounts for 60% of total calorie consumption. But Malawi, like many countries in sub-Saharan Africa, um, is really vulnerable to climatic shocks, particularly drought has been a big issue over the last few years, as has flooding. Um, acute malnutrition is not the biggest problem in terms of nutrition within Malawi at the moment. It's actually chronic undernutrition or stunting is um, really the biggest issue in terms of nutrition that Malawi is facing. Uh, 37% of children under five are stunted at the moment, which does represent um, a slightly lower percentage than we've seen in the past. So Malawi is making progress towards the reduction of stunting, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, and I think there's also a need to diversify income for the households. Um, a lot of households depend really on farming. And as Megan said, um, Malawi is prone to to drought and flood. So relying on agriculture is not the, the best thing. And the other issue is the linkages to the markets for these uh, households. So at the moment, the majority... Um, of uh, farmers, they are subsistence farmers, so they they produce what they need for own consumption or they sell at a time when everybody is selling and the prices are low. So we need to think more about how people can generate an income uh, from 
what they produce, and that starts with linking them to markets. In 2016, Malawi declared a state of emergency related to the El Nino drought. Could you give us some examples about how Concern Worldwide prepared for that emergency and how they responded? Malawi is actually currently implementing an emergency CMAM response that runs parallel to its kind of day-to-day normally functioning CMAM program. There has been an increase in the incidence of acute malnutrition nationwide. Um, So CONCERN has been heavily involved in helping to implement this emergency CMAM response in a number of districts across Malawi, where we have already been working, so we already have established relationships with the health surveillance assistance, with the community health facilities. Uh, We know the lay of the land, and we help to increase, going to build capacity, do trainings, Um, assess how well-functioning and how well-stocked our community health clinics are in order to be able to better respond to the increase of admissions that they're seeing. Um, So that's one angle that CONCERN has been involved in. The second piece is that there has been a more generalized humanitarian response uh, where CONCERN has been involved in, you know, distributing cash to beneficiaries within the districts that we already work in. So again, we're helping to implement kind of nationwide emergency response mechanisms within the districts that we're already working in. What would you say makes you the most hopeful for a food secure future Malawi? My hope is that um, Malawi will have a couple of years now ahead uh, where they don't see drought or flood so that they have actually time to recover and to get back on their feet and um, so that they can stop worry about um, what to, to eat tomorrow, but they can they, that they start planning ahead and investing into future so that their vulnerability reduces uh, in long term. That would be my hope. Absolutely. And the good news is, is that the rains have been very good this rainy season. So we're not really projecting or anticipating the same um, levels in terms of crop failure that we've seen on this annual basis for the last few years. The second thing that I think is really hopeful is the most recent DHS data um, from 2015 and 2016 around the reduction in stunting. Of course, there's still a long way to go. The to bring that 37% down even further, but it's really encouraging to me, and I know it's encouraging in country to see that number, you know, continually shift downwards every few years. Regina Coplo is a senior nutrition and food security advisor, and Megan Anson is a nutrition advocacy officer at Concern Worldwide. Learn more about their work by visiting concern.net. Grace Heimsfield is a grad student in the University of Michigan School of Public Health. This podcast is a joint activity of IFPRI's Nourishing Millions Project and the Department of Nutritional Sciences at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. You can subscribe to this podcast and learn a lot more about IFPRI by going to the IFPRI website, www.ifpri.org or the Nourishing Millions website, nourishingmillions.ifpri.info. Today's show was produced by Rina Hisamatsu, 
Grace Hinesfield, Andrew Jones, Zach Rosen, and me, Sivan Youssef. Zach Rosen edited our interview. Music from today's show comes from the Free Music Archive. Until next time, let's innovate, learn, and speed up progress on ending hunger and malnutrition. <laughs>